Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here is an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Stacy Mitchart. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
when you come to my show, I'm gonna give it all to you. A little bit of rock and roll and a little old school blues. A couple of sexy ballads and some second line too. I'm gonna hit you with some funk that'll make your body move. Shake your body, shake your body, shake your body on down. Shake your body, shake your body, shake your body on down. Slide it to the left. Chart from his brand new release, and we got Stacy on the line. Hey, Stacy, how you been? I've been pretty good. <laughs> That's good. Good to hear. Now, you know, you've been on the show before, but we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are as an artist, and the best way to do that is by your story, where you came from. So, give us the story of Stacy Mitchart. Wow. Um, well, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I'm an only child, so I had a lot of time by myself. <laughs> Started playing guitar at nine years old and, and uh, just just stuck with it, just loved it. Uh, my dad had jazz records and big band records and stuff like that, Mills Brothers, Egg Spots. And so I would listen to that stuff. Um, it just, I don't know, man. I... As a little kid, my mother, they had a local TV show that um, Uncle Al, you know, and he would come on and, and she said, I'd be three years old, I'd go get a pot from the kitchen and put it on my head because he always wore a hat. I'd fake, you know, he had a little accordion and I had a little kid accordion. And I'd sit in front of the TV and sit along with it. So I don't know. Music just always grabbed me. Okay. Now, you know... Um Every artist has that crossroad moment in their life where several opportunities were set upon them, and, and, and you chose music as, as a career path. Tell me a little bit about that moment in your life where, where it was obvious that music was the place to go. Yeah. Um, it was, it, well, there's, there's probably, you know, with most people, there's probably a few of those moments right. know, that, that happened. Uh I remember the first person that I actually remember seeing on TV play music that kind of captured me, and it was Little Richard. And I think it was just the, the, I don't know if it was the excitement generated or the flamboyance of it or or just the rhythm of it, because my parents didn't really have, like, rock and roll records, you know, but something about that really grabbed me. Um, then uh, my best friend's, uh, the guys that I was in a band with, their parents took us to see Bobby Blue Bland and B.B. King. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was probably about about 14 or 15 years old. And from that point, it was just like, wow. You know, that, that, that just got me. I mean, we snuck backstage afterwards. And, and so that was cool. And then, uh, you know, I went to college for business, but had been playing. You know, I played all through high school and was playing in college and... and uh, first couple of years I think I auditioned for the for the amusement park and they put me in the country western band you know and you do the same exact show six times a day six days a week for the whole summer and by the end of the summer I wasn't bored to death and I didn't hate it so I was like I was like man you know if I can do that I, I think I could I could do anything playing so uh, that kind of was, was a moment too and, and it just uh, early, early on, I think my first live performance in front of a whole bunch of people, I kind of had a an issue where with a guitar chord and and it shorted out and 
and uh, I was probably 11 at the time, and, and I kept moving the cord around and, and got it got it to where it worked again by holding my leg a certain way and, and got through the performance, and I didn't freak out, you know, and, and, and the applause that I got, I don't know, I guess it just fed me, and, and I wanted to keep hearing that. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about you as a songwriter. Um, now, I know that you spent a lot of time in Nashville, and Nashville has a very structured way of approaching that craft of songwriting. Um, when you sit down to begin that process of writing, what is it that you do that allows you to tap into that muse? Yeah, you know, I don't really follow the Nashville thing. Um, you know, I've been here for 25 years, and and a couple times I tried to, early on I tried to write with some other people in that kind of formula type thing, and it just didn't click with me. And um, uh, recently, over the last few records, I've, I've done more co-writing than I had done before. Um, and and so it was a little different, but I, I kind of, developed my style I think a little bit uh, by then uh, for me nothing it's never the same uh, there's been songs that I, I started with uh, a beat from a drum machine there's been stuff I started uh, just driving down the road and, and got the melody in my head and, and came up just singing a melody and, and working with it later uh, other times that you know obviously you get a brand new guitar and you just start playing it to get used to it and and you come up with some chords or chord progressions and and so it, it's for me it's just it's just kind of when it hits me and and where it, it actually comes from it's it, there's no set way that i do it okay well that's you know probably not the answer you thought about. but that's okay i mean everybody has their their way you know, and one of the things I found in, I always find interesting is that, you know, lyrics is one thing. You know, it's a very structured process. You know, you have a story, continuity, rhyme, meter, rhythm, but melody is different. You know, some songwriters like to use a groove, others like to use the, uh, the chord progression, and then there are others that just allow the lyric to kind of dictate where it should go. Uh, mm -hmm. What what do you do to help you find your melodies? Mm. Um, well, first of all, uh, I just, you know, I love melodies because I think that's what's missing with a lot of pop music. <laughs> it's, just, it's like a loop with no melody. You know, it's like somebody, they try to do as many words as possible. And I just, I don't know, man. It, it's it's got to, it's got to kind of just, in the back of my mind when I get to a chorus I like to feel like it's something that by the second time somebody could sing along to it you know like, like it's, it's melodic enough to know that that it's at least somewhat memorable or something that that would just be easier to to kind of latch onto your brain you know and, and so that's that's kind of where I go from it and you know there's in blues tunes, uh, uh, you know, if you're, if you're staying in, you know, strictly blues, uh, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's, it's the story more than the actual melody sometimes, um, or it is the groove. And, and sometimes I, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not really a strict straight blues artist. And, and some of it's because I think I, some of my melodies are a little more popish, I think. Okay. You know, uh, songwriters, you know, can either you know really embrace technology or the you know they're really old school with pen and paper and and that's how they work uh what is in your toolkit that that you found to be really important in your process as a writer well lately um my ipad um i can i can talk the words into it you know while while i'm sitting there instead of having to write it down um I can, you know, do a copy and paste so that so that I can just move lines around and stuff like that to kind of try to make them fit. So, uh, but that's about the extent of the technology. I don't I don't do a ton. I, I don't like have a home recording studio. Um, you know, on my iPad I do have a like a GarageBand thing where 
or, or a little recorder in there where if I want to play something along just to get an idea down, uh, I can do that. But um, I just kind of, I guess, really it's just that process of not having to, first of all, I'm a, I'm a terrible writer. I mean, I can barely read my own writing half the time, and I think it's because I try to write so fast. And and so having that iPad there is great to be able to do that. And then when I'm practicing the song and trying to learn it, it's all right there in front of me, and it's easy to read. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And you can make, especially as we get older, we can make that text a little bigger, you know? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, um, when you write a song, you have to get to that point where you, you put the pen down and you say, okay, this is as far as I can go in this stage. It's now time to move it into production. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, creating a, you know, um, uh, a moment where the song gets to be given to the producer or the musician so they can now put their fingerprints on it. Um, right. How do you determine that moment? Yeah, I think some of the best songs I've ever written have, have come really fast, you know, like 20 minutes, and, and it's like, wow, it's done, you know. And uh, I'll just start probably by me playing it a few times, um, and just feeling like it's done at that point. Now, even when you get there and you go in the studio and, and you record, you know, it, it, the recording process, is, is it, it evolves. You know, the way that you wrote it right at that moment and the way that it comes out when it's finished, uh, a finished product to put on a, a record is generally not 100% exact. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it's kind of evolved a little bit. There's been a few words changed. There's been... Maybe, uh, maybe the tempo changed a little bit. Maybe, maybe how the, you know, how the the lyric bounces within the song, it's changed a little. And and so, you know, I think you get to those points where the first point is, you know, okay, now it's like a song, and now I have to like kind of fine tune it. And then after you fine tune it, it's like okay, now it's to the point where we go in and we try to record it, and then. We record what we think is going to work, and then we listen back and listen back. And then as you listen back, you're like, hey, I think I should tweak that a little bit. So I, I think it probably ends up, you know, like, I guess like any book or whatever, uh, with a bunch of rewrites. Right, Uh-oh, right, hold on. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Now, um, let's talk about going into the studio. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you write a song, it's like, writing a book like you said or a script that now you're handing off to actors and 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 people that are going to interpret this and it creates the identity of the song and also it helps create the identity of you as an artist to create the textures and this is where this all happens and you know every artist has their way of working in this environment to create their sound what is your process when you get into the studio that helps you, you know, get your sound? Right. You know, um, man, I, you know, I've done it a bunch of different ways. And and sometimes it's just kind of the mindset of the project I'm working on. Um, I've gone to the point where, you know, I've, I've been at a, at a studio where I'm, I'm doing a lot of the instruments myself and and kind of just, you know, everything is, and way back in the day, if, you know, you didn't have as many tracks and, and you would try to record stuff and bounce it over and do all these things. And then there's been times that I've gone in the studio um, and had everything planned out and just tried to knock it out in a few days. Um, and and then, like, I had a uh, one of my projects called Live My Life. I wanted to do the whole thing on two-inch tape. And so we, we went in with the idea of the rhythm section is going to be recorded live uh, in a big room. And that was a real interesting way to record. And then I've done other things. Uh, my drummer has a studio, and we've worked over there to where we're just in there for hours and hours just trying different things and, and writing as we go. Um, and for a few of the songs on this last record, Printer's Alley, um, it was different again. Um, there is this group of guys here in Nashville that um, you you give them like a, a rough demo of the song that you did on a computer 
they learn it. You go over to the studio with them, and they cut it for you. And then you, you listen to it, and while they're cutting it, and you say, well, man, let's try this a little bit. And they do that. And, and so literally each song, the rhythm tracks are cut within about an hour. And and you walk away, and, and you know, I was really, really doubtful at first because I'm like, nah, I don't know. That just sounds like it's demo type stuff. And and but man, these guys were so good at what they did, and and that the rhythm tracks I got were exactly what I wanted. And then I went back to another studio, and you know, yeah, substituted some guitar parts and did my vocals and brought in horn players and and uh, did that, and then it went over to the mixing guys. So I mean, it's it's interesting that the cool thing I guess number one is that there's uh, there are a lot of options and ways to do it I think if you do the same way every single time you probably kind of suck the life out of it a little bit because it just becomes too too mechanical at least that's my thinking okay well tell me a little bit about the lineup on this who's playing well I, I gotta tell you man those three songs I don't even know <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Because it was it was like this collective of musicians that does this, and we went in three different times, and a, a couple times they had some different guys, and I met them, but I, I don't even really know what their names were, and I know that sounds really, really bad because you know they, they should be getting the credit on the record and the whole thing, but uh, my liner notes of the record were were geared more towards explaining why I picked the songs that I picked on it because really this record is more of a a retrospective of my time here in Nashville. So um, the majority of the tunes uh, on the record have my regular lineup. Um, Darren James is my drummer. Uh, Michael Deering is my bass player. Uh, Corey DiStefano is my trumpet player. Uh, Jules Calderera is my, is my sax player. And then I've used a, a, a few different uh, keyboard players in and out. And, and then, you know, you augment it with some other people, uh, maybe, you know, add a couple different horns or, or uh, uh, some background vocalists and stuff like that. Um, lady that does, uh, dear, dear friend of mine, she lives in Germany, and she, she does a lot of my background vocals for me. We just send her files. She does it and sends it on back. Nine times out of ten, it's exactly what I'm looking for. So Nice. Now, you're working with Michelle Castiglia to do your radio. Uh, tell me a little bit about that relationship. Man, this is my first time working with Michelle, and I, I couldn't be any more pleased. Um, it, it was suggested to me by somebody else to talk to her, and, and I've known her husband, Albert, forever. Um, we, When I first got to Nashville, Albert was coming through and playing from time to time, and whenever I had whenever I had to go do something else, if I was going overseas for a couple of weeks, or if I had to go do a couple other shows somewhere else that um, maybe didn't include my band or something, Albert would come in and fill in for me with my band. So we were all good friends. And uh, when they suggested that, that she do it, I was like, oh, well, okay, I didn't even realize she was doing that. And so I contacted her and, and sent her a copy of the record, and she was like, yeah, I really like it. I think we can do something with it. And, and she's gotten great results. And I, I got to be honest, the, the reason, the, the biggest reason that I wanted to, to push this record to radio was the, the last, and I think we'll get into this later about just the industry in general, but the last couple records, I really didn't push them that much. Um, and I kind of felt like my name kind of hadn't really been out there on radio for a few years. And so I said, well, you know, I need I need to get kind of a presence out there again, and and wasn't really sure how to go about it. I used some other record promoters that I wasn't very happy with in the past, and uh, so Michelle was suggested to me, and we contacted, and and like I said, man, I couldn't be happier. I think she's doing a phenomenal job. Now uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the industry. Um, now, we, we all know going into the studio and recording a project, and we can't even call them CDs anymore. We have to call them releases. Um, but going into the studio and, and then hiring a publicist or a radio promoter, I mean, all of this costs money. And that return on that investment it has become harder and harder to get. Um, 
we've been in this digital revolution now for over 20 years. It's redefined the industry. And now the consumer has really embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And what has happened is, is they've shifted their perception of recorded music from a product that they used to go out and purchase to a service that's now available on their phone 24-7. And this shift has really affected the independent artist and and, and in that whole world um, as far as revenue stream is concerned. How has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Wow. Um, Yeah, everything you said is exactly right. It it affected me, like, major. Um, Before, um, I I think I've put out now, I think this is like, man, I kind of lost count. Probably like my 14th or 15th project that I've put out. And, um, you know, for a long time, you, you put it out. And, I mean, most of the time within three months, I sold enough. CDs um, that paid for the record, and everything after that was, uh, you know, get money to to come in uh, to say put towards the next record or to do some promotion and and to live on and be able to pay your bills and save some money for later on. Um, then uh, I started doing some crowdfunding uh, type of thing for three different records, so I did that three times and each time the record was completely paid for before it ever came out so that was great uh, but during that same time is, is when the streaming thing started getting really strong and I mean I'll, I'll admit hey, I listen to most of my music by throwing it on Pandora or Spotify myself and and so I, I completely understand I mean I you know I subscribe to to Apple Music and all that, so but but the amount that the artist gets paid is, is so minimal now. It's, it's it's almost like a joke, you know. And and so unfortunately, it all comes down to to um, your live shows and selling T-shirts and other things. And if people buy a CD, now I, I do have vinyl albums, but if people buy CDs or vinyl, it's an impulse buy at your show. Uh, they just they don't order them. Uh, they don't they don't download them. You know I have everything that I've done available for download direct from my website, and people just don't do that anymore. So it it is different. I mean it's really shifted, and you just have to really concentrate on getting people to your live shows so that they you know from a financial standpoint from the revenue stream of doing that, and then trying to find other revenue streams like. Um, you know, not only just doing clubs and, and and festivals and concerts, but, you know, now doing, like, house concerts and, you know, doing, you know, things for corporations and, and trying to come up with everything. So in some ways it's been good because it, it gets you to think a little more outside the box and it's created some other revenue streams. But in a lot of ways you just, man, you, you know, you, you spend your time and effort writing songs and, and doing that and really the payoff is not directly from that anymore no it's not you know it, it seems that the the um the shift of that moniker the product has moved from the actual recorded music to the brand that the artist brings and i think when the pandemic hit it really accelerated this whole new world of content creation whether it's live streaming whether it's uh social media marketing whether it's creating music videos or you know whatever this whole world of content creation has now become part of what an independent artist has to invest in uh you know you have even the larger artists that are really putting a lot of stake into things like TikTok and Instagram and Twitter uh, and connecting with their fans at such a level that they actually feel that they're invested in the artist themselves. You know what I mean? That they get to know the artist um, on that personal level. 
you know, when you do a live stream from your living room, they get to see, wow, that's your living room. You know, this is where you live. This is your home. Um, so it, it, it's a more personal connection that the fans get. And I think they're really um, looking for that now. They want more than just a playlist on Spotify. They want to connect with the artist. How are you negotiating this new world of content creation? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm I'm not very good at it. Um, I'll be the first person to admit that, and and I need help. Um, you know, I I I try to you know I, I got some really nice like fully produced videos and stuff that we've done. Um, when I did the, uh, I was doing a series of. of Facebook live shows during the pandemic and I called it Conscience from the Caddy and I literally would sit in the back seat of my Cadillac, I got a 1965 Caddy and I would sit in the back seat of that in my garage and I would put all kind of lighting in there and, and, I'd, have, and I'd have my guitar in the back and I'd play songs and take requests and those were some of the most um, attended of, of that type of a thing, you know, I mean I would do it from the, from the back patio and I'd do it from in the living room and you know, just do different things, but like the backseat of the caddy was, was like the the one that people liked. So I mean, that was pretty cool to come up with that. And then, but now that I'm back to work full time, you know, back then we weren't allowed to work at all. So you're sitting around the house and you're trying to do things and, and come up with stuff. And now it's like I'm I'm working five and six days a week, and and uh, I'm I'm trying to. I've always done the majority of my booking and I'm doing that and trying to kind of catch up on some of this other stuff. And it gets to the point where man, I don't have time to do those concerts anymore. First of all, the most effective time to do those concerts is, is in the evening. Mm. And now I'm now I'm out working in the evening. So it, it's like really tough for me to do those. And I feel really bad because those people really helped me out. And I like you were talking about the connection. I felt a connection to to my fans to the point where they became more than fans. They became friends. Uh, at least it felt that way. And and they were really, really starting to get invested in what I'm doing. And I, I kind of feel like now that I'm, I'm back to work so much, you know, playing, that I'm almost kind of feel like I'm letting them down a little bit. And so I, I, I try to come up with content and, it, you know, it, sometimes you think to yourself, like, maybe you don't really have that much to say or you're not that funny or you're not you're not not that creative to come up with something new you don't want to just do the same thing over and over again and so that's I'm, I'm trying to work on that I'm trying to get some younger people involved and and try to get some some people that come from a different perspective to kind of you know kick me a, kick me in the butt a little bit and help me help me with that well you know it's almost like you have to create your own reality show you know that the yeah. fans can kind of get into, and you know what I what I noticed is now. I mean, you're you're in Nashville. Nashville is a music town. I mean, they got a lot of tourists. People go out to see live music. Oh, but yeah. you know, you go out on the road. You know, live music was having issues before the pandemic. Let's face it. You know, you mm -hmm. would go into a venue and, you know, maybe 10, 15 people show up. Half of them are blood relatives. The other half are watching television. You know, it's. It's you know it, it had issues, but if you looked at it logically, there was a huge potential, or there is a huge potential fan base that is on the internet that never had that frame of reference of going to see a band in an intimate venue and watching them create music in the moment. You know what I mean? That that experience of watching a band perform a song that you know will never be exactly the same the next time they perform it. You know, mm -hmm. it's that music in the moment, that creativity of musicians, you know, taking the feelings that they had right then and there and transposing that into a, a performance. And, um, you know, these, these potential fans, you know, they would go to the big concerts, they would see musicians perform music that sounded exactly like the recording you know and with gener with you know excitement being generated by lights and and pyrotechnics and costume changes and and choreography but not that 
core of, of seeing something that was unique. And one of the things with, with going on the Internet and creating content is that you reach this, this potential fan base with this reality show mentality so that the next time they drive down the street and they see that name on the marquee, they say, hey, I know that guy from, you know, TikTok or I, I've seen him on Instagram or I've seen him on Facebook or whatever the case may be that might drive that whole new fan base into the venue to start, you know, maybe create a new, uh, you know, a group of people that will go out and see live music. Yeah, you know, I, I'll give you that. Um, I I think that, it, well, first of all, I've been really fortunate because it, I don't really, I don't tour as much as other people because I, I have these, like, residencies here in town. Um, you know, I, I've got a guaranteed 200-plus uh, nights a year here in Nashville. So, I, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, depending on the situation, um I don't have to hit the road 250 days a year, you know. So, so that so when I do go out, I, I generally we generally draw a pretty good crowd. Right. So, so I haven't really been in the situation where there's hardly anybody showing up. So that's that's a beautiful thing, and because we've developed relationships now, a lot of that also is is we're not breaking a whole lot of new markets. That which is something that I, I want to try to do a, a little more. We might talk about that later, but. Um, I think people, people really, you know, they would tell me that they really enjoyed the fact that they didn't have to leave their living room to see me perform, and that they could, you know, get a live performance watching it right on their TV and having a drink at home and stuff like that. And I think that was really cool. Um, but you know, as a performer, and, and really, my strength is is being a live performer. I really miss having that that interaction in the same room with my audience. You know, it's like I, I can create something, I can play something, but I'm I'm playing to the screen of my phone and it just takes away the the personal uh, connection that you have when you do a live show. Now like you're saying you know, by doing the, the streaming type shows and and inviting people into your home, you know, you you can create people that maybe would have never come see you before. And and I'll give you that story. But then I also think that sometimes by creating it, by making it that easy, um, that some people would just choose to just stay at home. <laughs> And watch it, as opposed to coming out to the show because then it, it doesn't become as as special of a thing. So it's it's like a, a you know a double edged sword there. You know, in some some parts of it are are fantastic for pushing it, and other parts could actually keep some people away. And you know, what, what's the balance there? But the bottom line is, you kind of got to do both. Now we we talked a little bit about. Um what's happening in the industry as far as streaming, not getting paid properly. And in fact, you know, one of the biggest uh, complaints, I think, with with streaming and Spotify and all of those streaming platforms is that they have a lack of transparency. They don't, you don't know how are they divvying up the money. And they're very cryptic when, when it comes time to try to explain it. They really don't, you know, they don't, you know, you, they don't care if you know, you know how the money's being divvied up. And there is this new technology that's coming out, um, the non-fungible token, the NFTs, which a lot of uh, people that I know, uh, I know there is a uh, professor at Berkeley College of Music that has created this new um, uh, platform that he's going to utilize NFTs to um, to facilitate sync licensing, to do, you know, uh, music for videos and movies and TV shows through this NFT platform, these smart contracts and, and the blockchain. And there's another guy that, that, you know, this Clarion North, who is creating a streaming platform 
you. That basically what happens is, is that the smart contract looks at the the amount of money that comes into the platform, the amount of streams you got as opposed to other artists on the platform, and immediately distributes out the funds equitably and transparently to everyone involved in that platform. So it the future looks like that you know with this decentralized financial system that there may be a, a time when coming up soon where the independent artist has control over all of these aspects of the industry and the record companies and these large corporations like Spotify are going to get freezed out of of the industry what what do you think as as you know as an independent artist of where this future's going well, I, you know, I'll, I'll be transparent in the fact that I don't completely understand uh, the NFT uh, process of, of how it works. I mean, I've, I've invested a little bit in crypto, and so I'm trying to learn, um, and I'm still trying to completely understand the NFT um, deal and, and how to create one and, and get it moving. Um so, man, I, I just don't even know. Obviously, it's not going away. Um, this is not like some, crypto is not some flash in the pan thing. And, and I thoroughly believe that it, it's, it's the future of what's going to happen. Because um, it's already started happening. And it's just going to continue to develop just like when the Internet first started. Or just, you know, when, when radio first started. You know, all different kinds of things like that. It, it evolves for sure. Uh, I think it's it's great, you know, from a consumer standpoint. Um, I, you know, the average person that is consuming the music, whether it's through streaming or whatever, I, I really don't think they care that much. You know, how whatever monies are are generated are are distributed. Uh, you know, I, I think they'll they tell you that. Well, it'd be great if the artist is paid for that, but as long as I don't have to come out of my pocket to do that, you know. So it's uh, it, it comes to a point where it, it, that's where the people that care the most are the ones that you know are trying to get paid from it, and the NFTs are allowing you to to own your you know own your product and 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 sell it, and and I just I, I don't know, Rich. I just I would I need to know more about it to really speak speak about it. You know, intelligently, I, I kind of feel stupid about it right now. Well, you know, one of the things I think that is at a consumer level, um, the I think one of the most important things to happen is to be able to deal with a um, non-volatile uh, currency. You know, cryptocurrency is very volatile. It goes up, it goes oh, yeah. down. There is no established value to crypto. Um, as like there is for the dollar. The dollar is a dollar. The pound is a pound. Uh, you know, no matter where you go in the world, you know, it may fluctuate in 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 the um, exchange rates, but the dollar will still always be a dollar here. Whereas, you know, one uh, Bitcoin or one Ethereum is not going to be the same today as it is tomorrow. You know what I mean? And I think... We we have to get to a point where we're dealing in a non-volatile currency in order to give the consumer the confidence to to spend that money and 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 utilize it um, for this new plat these new platforms. You know. Yeah, but I mean the the crypto it's just like if you put a dollar if, if you spend. You know your dollars into buying shares of of Procter and Gamble, for instance. And if something happens and the shares of Procter and Gamble go down, um, you know drastically or go up drastically, then your dollar either becomes worth less or more, which would be the same thing. You know, in order to purchase crypto, you're using your actual dollars. So it just you know that seems the crypto thing. I just look at it from more from the investment standpoint of. You know, obviously it doesn't mirror the stock market, but it's kind of the same type of of an idea. Right. Um, and the NFTs are 
are like a product um, that that's being developed, from what I understand. And uh, just, I, I think the things that amaze me is is when I see somebody's created a uh, a, a digital picture or something, and and it's supposedly worth sixty seven thousand dollars. And I'm like, where you know, the part I don't understand is is where did where does the values come from? Do you, do you just state it? Um, you know, who who buys these things? And so that's the part I don't understand really is is like how it how it gets marketed, how it, it gets out there. I understand that it's supposed to be a, a unique thing that is owned, and then if somebody buys it, then they own it and can do other things with it. So, Well, you know, one of the things I think a lot of artists are doing now is that, you know, when you get a record contract, the first thing a record company will do is they want your publishing. You know what I mean? Right. So a lot of artists, what they're doing is is they're selling percentages of their publishing in an NFT, with a smart contract that's in there that says, okay, if you resell this, I get X percent of the resale value, and that goes on in, in perpetuity. So instead of selling it to, you know, giving your publishing to a record company, you're distributing it out to your fan base, who now has a vested interest in your success, you know what I mean? So now they go out and they promote you and they promote your songs because now they're they're an investor in your music. You know what oh, I mean? Okay. So that that's yeah. one way I think a lot of people are, are a lot of artists are looking at at NFTs to you know initially. You know? Mm -hmm. Well, that yeah that that makes a little sense to me then that that's been you explained that in a, in a different way than other people have and, and I like the way that sounds. Well, and, and, and it's real easy to do. I mean, you just set it up, you know, and go on OpenSea and, you know, you can use the, the Polygon network uh, blockchain and it doesn't cost anything to uh, I, create an uh, NFT. Yeah, I was reading an article about that just yesterday and, and it started, you know, just trying to start to look into how to do that because, uh, you know, the article was like how how, yeah, how to create your own NFT and, and get it up there, you know, so... Um, yeah, it's, it, it, now is a real interesting time. I, I mean, you know, throughout, throughout time, it's it become more and more interesting. You know, first it was, um, you know, first it was trying to, to take things away from big record companies and become independent, find ways to do it yourself so that you're not giving up everything. You know, and, and now it's, uh, you know, it's, it's trying to figure out ways to, to own it and, and create that investment and, and it's just you know I, I love it but, but boy it, it sure can get overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> that it can well so much to learn and, and and without like a a you know without an actual team of people it feels like to say hey you know here's your project this week you know figure out the NFT thing and and, and start helping me develop content and, and that's I think that's the biggest hurdle for, for independent artists a lot of times is that, you know, at least if you're signed with a record company, they they have a team of people that are doing all these things for you. And when you're an independent guy, um, you know, either with your own label and you got to figure out your distribution or whether you're going, uh, you know, whether, whether you're just, you know, handling all your management, you're booking the whole thing. It gets very tough because you don't have that team, and you know you're not an expert. You know you're not an expert in any of the things. You're doing the best you can, and and it's and you need help, and it, and it's hard to find the people to be able to help. And and unfortunately, you know, a lot, especially in the blues world, the venues aren't that big, the the dollars aren't that big, and and you know, so you can't just go out and say, look, you know, I've got three positions that pay $80,000 a year and I want to hire some really sharp people coming straight out of college to do this and some people with some experience and and you just don't have that. No. Yeah. And and so it's, it's very hard because it's like, you're like, man, if I had that, I could really do this. You know, and it's like, and if I could really do this, then I would have enough to be able to have that. <laughs> It's, uh, boy, it's tough, and, and like I say, it's overwhelming because you, you want to try to do all you can, and and you still have to be able to to rest your voice in your mind to be able to 
sit there and, and put on a great show. And, yep. and you know, unfortunately, I've, you know, I, I've, I've got a, a business mind about it, but my, my strength is, is being a live performer. And, and so I, I probably spend, you know, a, a major part of, part of my time and energy making sure I can do that part. And some of the other part kind of suffers because of that. Yeah, well, I definitely understand it. It is, it is a tough, you know, it is a tough life no matter how we look at it. But, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your release. And uh, you guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> there you go, man. Up in the sky, so far that you can't reach. An ocean deep and wide, in that you can't see. Power of a song Take you somewhere you used to be yeah. Cut my teeth, yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
should be What do they know? to me I know what's what to me only want a guy to please me what I feel street where all the characters from the first precinct me New Orleans city of a million dreams you never know how nice it seems when you went out south of New Orleans basement street that's a street Lord where everybody gonna meet New Orleans yeah I got the Basin Street Blues Now aren't you glad that you went with me Down that Mississippi Took a boat to the land of dreams Heaven on earth down in New Every 
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. 